1: Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, November 13th. I'm Ashley Norwood, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson previews impeachment-related hearings in the House later today. Then the federal immigration program, known as DACA, is before the U.S. Supreme Court. Mississippi advocates and immigrants weigh in. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, Democratic challenger Mike Espy says he's ready to go another round against U.S. Senator Cindy Hyde Smith. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on NPB Think Radio. The Washington version of Must See TV makes its debut with the first public hearing in the impeachment inquiry. Cameras are in place in a House office building just south of the Capitol for the opening session this morning. Witnesses are expected to provide evidence about President Donald Trump's efforts to tie U.S. aid for Ukraine to investigations of his political opponents. MPB's Ezra Wall spoke with Congressman Benny Thompson. The Mississippi Democrat talks about what he's expecting to hear during today's testimony.
2: Well, I think we'll hear the exact information relative to the telephone conversation that some people are talking about with the president and his requesting that a foreign government investigate uh, an American citizen. Uh, We'll hear from those individuals who either was on the call or had information about the call, and whether or not uh, that kind of suggestion crosses the line. Uh, But I think more important is the fact that these individuals are people who have more than 20 some have more than 30 years of experience uh in the diplomatic arena working for democrats and republicans and basically saw themselves uh not as uh affiliated with either party but what Hupp was doing in the best interests of United States government.
3: The the hearing starts at 9 a.m. Uh, who is it that we're expecting to
2: hear from today? Well, there are three witnesses that we have proposed uh, uh, to hear from this week. Uh, a lot depends on how long they go. Generally, uh, you try to get it all done, but sometimes times gets away from you. Uh, William Taylor uh, is the top diplomat uh, in the Ukraine. Uh, George Kent, who was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs, and Marie Yovanovitch, uh, who was, if you remember, was the person who was called late at night and basically said, you need to catch the first uh, plane out of there because uh, it's not safe. And so those are the three uh, major witnesses for this week. Uh, There are rumors about other witnesses Uh, in the uh, foreseeable future, from uh, John Bolton to Mulvaney, the chief of staff, and others. But those are the three that we have set uh, for this week. What about uh, the the
3: Republicans have uh, countered, suggesting some witnesses of their own? Would you consider it likely that any of those witnesses would be heard?
2: Well, uh, I think the list would be considered, but I can't fathom why... Speaker Pelosi would be on a list, or why uh, Biden's son would be on a list, uh, because they were mentioned uh, as part of a conversation uh, in this uh, so-called request to investigate an American citizen. Uh, Just because you mention somebody, is no reason to bring them before an impeachment hearing, because the two don't correlate.
3: So my my last question is about is about timeline and I know you you uh, talked about how you try to get things done expeditiously, but sometimes it just takes a while. How, how long can people expect this proceeding to last this uh, this inquiry process before there's an official uh, vote in the House of some kind, uh, whether or not to impeach?
2: Well, uh, from all indication, uh, it will uh, be a thorough process, one that's very deliberative and one that uh, I think will get all of the information uh, out and before the public. Uh, The challenge for uh, the committee is, can we do it in a timely manner? And that remains to be seen. I think the public, as it reviews the uh, hearings and hear the testimony, will be absolutely shocked at the level of, misgivings this administration has offered against American citizens. Uh, I I think uh, the Republicans uh, who ask for these hearings to be open will probably regret making that request.
3: Well, we shall see. The hearing begins, uh, as I said, at 9 a.m., so uh, we'll be uh, tuning in for that. And Congressman Benny Thompson is the Democrat representing Mississippi's 2nd District and also chairs the House Homeland Security Committee Congressman Thompson, thank you for your time today.
2: Thank you for having me.
3: You
1: can hear today's testimony live starting at nine o'clock here on MPB Think Radio. Coming up, the federal immigration program known as DACA is before the U.S. Supreme Court. Mississippi advocates and immigrants weigh in. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. Immigrants' rights advocates are speaking out following a hearing in the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday that threatens the legal status of thousands of young immigrants. The immigrants are part of a program designed to help people who were brought to the U.S. illegally as children. It's called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA. The Trump administration has tried to rescind the program only to have the lower courts block his action. Patricia Ice of the Mississippi Immigrants Rights Alliance talks with MPB's Desiree Frazier.
0: I am extremely nervous, concerned about the outcome, um, although I personally don't feel that the Supreme Court can have any other outcome besides allowing the DACA program to continue because we have about 800,000 individuals who are DACA recipients across the country and probably seven or eight hundred here in Mississippi. And most of the people who are in the program are doing extremely well. We have people who have finished college. Um, I know here in Mississippi, we have a young person who is an RN. She's graduated from community college as well as a four-year college. We have other people who have uh, been to college. Some have not been able to finish, but that's mainly because we don't have in-state tuition here for people who are DACA holders. And so some of them have had to drop out. But they are working. They are building families. Um, Today I heard about a young man who is a student at Harvard. He's one of the plaintiffs in the Supreme Court case at Harvard Law School, who is one of the plaintiffs. I've met people who are medical doctors. I've met people who've already graduated from law school and who have DACA and who are practicing attorneys. Um, So I can't imagine that the Supreme Court
4: would um, overturn this program. What is the argument for overturning it by the Trump administration? From what I
0: understand, um, he is claiming that you cannot do this by executive order, that you cannot create this program by executive order, Um, even though presidents have been creating programs by executive order for a long, long time. But he's saying that this particular program cannot be created by executive order
4: and that's what president barack obama did
0: yes that's what he did Um, and it seems to me that the trump administration is trying to overturn all executive orders or anything that was done under the obama administration
4: what's the reasoning behind having this program in place you have to reapply every two years
0: yeah, the reason for it is so that young people will have some kind of status so that they can work here in the United States and live here in the United States without fear of being uh, deported or removed from the United States. Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals is the um, the name of the program, DACA. So what these young people are getting Uh, is really deferred action from being deported. So during the two-year period that they have deferred action, they um, are at very low risk for being deported. Um, And really, the only reasons that I've seen that any of them have been deported is if they've committed some kind of crime, and usually some kind of serious crime.
1: Patricia Ice of the Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance. Jesus is a food service worker. We're not using his last name to protect his identity. The aspiring restaurant manager says the DACA program allowed him to seek the education he will need to achieve his goals.
5: When DACA came out, I was a uh, senior in high school.
4: And is that when you applied?
5: Yes, ma'am. that's when I applied. That's when I... I applied and I got the DACA and, uh, that's when everything turned. It was a turning point really in my life.
4: Why was it a turning point in your life?
5: Uh, because beforehand, you know, that year, uh, I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. My plan was just, uh, you know, just to work just like my parents, uh, just work, you know, any job, any, any job that would hire me. But, uh, I got a chance to apply for school and do all that, and go to school, get the college experience, get my education, and get a degree, and now get a a job, real job.
4: And what degree do you have?
5: A business associate's degree.
4: And so now you're a manager.
5: Yes, I'm. Now I'm a manager with uh, plans in the future of owning my own restaurant.
4: What kind of work did your folks do?
5: Uh, they work at a Mexican restaurant. They've they've worked there all their life, you know. They worked.
4: Growing up, describe what it was like being in Mississippi. When did you understand that you weren't here legally?
5: Uh, probably well, I mean, I knew I wasn't here legally, like, you know, like in middle school, early middle school, but Stuff didn't affect me until, like, high school, I guess, when I couldn't get a driver's license, uh, you know, I couldn't travel, uh, you know, like, a job. Uh, that's when it started affecting me, really. We,
4: was there ever the fear that you would be deported?
5: Oh, yes. Yeah, it was uh, It was hard at times, you know, because especially, you know, with the raids or any, like, uh, my parents could go through a uh, roadblock, and we had heard of cases, you know, of people going through roadblocks and getting called immigration on them or anything like that. But, yeah, there was always there's always the fear of that for myself and for my parents, you know. Did we you, always had that plan.
4: How did you feel when you found out DACA had come along? What was that like?
5: Oh, it was uh, high hopes, you know. High hopes. We we, uh, we were excited. My parents, you know, they were, they were, I don't know, they were so thankful. I was so thankful, you know. Uh, the whole process was long, but there was finally hope.
4: How long did it take?
5: Uh, I want to say like a couple months, easily like four months or so from the application process and everything going to get our fingerprints and making sure everything's all good there
4: now that you're a DACA recipient and working how do you feel about the Trump administration seeking to end the program and this case going before the U.S. Supreme Court
5: well uh in the past few years I became really religious so uh you know I put it all in God's hands of course and uh not pray about it and uh uh, fear does come along though. You know, I'm still fearful for the outcome. Uh I'm a little disappointed. You know, I thought we uh I thought DACA, you know, was a great program, helped out helped out me tremendously and I'm sure it helped out millions of other people. And uh I know all the DACA recipients are, are scared because, you know, they're the government has all of our information and you know, who knows what could happen, but you know, where uh whatever happened is is gonna happen and we're just going to have to adapt to whatever happens. You know that uh, I'm thankful for DACA, changed my life. Uh, you know, I, I recently got married about three years ago, two years ago, got married two years ago, and uh, my wife, she's a DACA recipient as well. We have two beautiful daughters. We're waiting to see the outcome uh, and see what we do. And now it's our side to live. On the flip side of our parents, you know, they didn't have any documents and now we have DACA, which ensures us from deportation. But, you know, if that gets taken away, we got to see what we got to do.
1: Hey, Sue spoke with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Coming up, Democratic challenger Mike Espy says he's ready to go another round against U.S. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
6: I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute.
0: I annually break out in this rash, like all over. I am a diabetic. It's really bad when it comes. It comes all in my scalp, everything.
6: Particularly if it's seasonal like that, a lot of people will have seasonal allergies and it doesn't have to be the sneezing type of allergy. So you can have an eczematous uh, reaction like that on your skin. It's no rhyme or reason sometimes, but if you do some you know due diligence and detective work, sometimes you can find out what that is and avoid it. I would take antihistamines to help prevent this during this time period that you know that you're more likely to, uh, to break out with it. Certainly, trying to avoid oral steroids is probably better, particularly since you have diabetes. Uh, and if you haven't seen a dermatologist for this, that's a person I would I would go to also. A lot of people have uh, treated this um, also with, uh, with Singulair. That's an asthma medication, but it's also been used particularly for allergic rhinitis. Uh, some people think it might work with uh, skin-type reactions to that. I haven't really found that it, it helps out with the... Uh, the skin uh, allergies, but uh, it's, it's worth a try. But I think a dermatologist is probably your next best bet on seeing somebody. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The health method is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue.
2: I'm Robert Krulwich from Radiolab. We're told that smell triggers memories in the brain. So if you're in your car, let's try something. Roll up your windows and inhale, okay? There are some memories you cherish and others that just um, linger. But now here's a thought. How about contributing this barrel of aroma that is your car to your favorite public radio station? And you might even get a tax deduction. Thanks. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. Democrat Mike Esby says he wants a rematch against Cindy Hyde-Smith for the U.S. Senate seat. Esby lost last year's special election for the two remaining years of retired Senator Thad Cochran's six-year term. He says in spite of Democrats losing the recent gubernatorial election, he sees a path to victory in 2020, as he explains to our Colby Vance.
7: Well, you know, we just made a recent race in 2018. We got 46.4 percent of the statewide vote in Mississippi. And that's still not 50, but it's really not bad. And uh, I know that we made a lot of mistakes as a campaign. I made mistakes as a candidate because I hadn't run in 25 years. And I know that we can improve upon that effort, and we're going to do that. Uh, we just, uh, you know, we got 46.4 percent, raised $7.2 million, and that's enough money in Mississippi to win the statewide race. But the money came in so late. So this time I've got to exhort my supporters to donate earlier so we can use that money to fuel uh, a field effort that we have to have in Mississippi to, to, to get the vote out. I also know that uh, I looked at Jim Hood's race. And although we're disappointed that Jim Hood was not victorious, he improved upon what we did because he got 47 percent, a little bit more of the statewide vote. So you got I got 46.4. He got 47. It's a short leap from that to 50 Uh, percent. And if you can get down into the weeds, we flipped four counties from Donald Trump 2016. The Mike Esper campaign flipped. Four seats, and then Jim Hood comes along, and keeps those seats that we flipped, except for one county. Then he flips three more. So those who are paying attention, and even though Jim Hood lost uh, his race for governor, uh, there's a, 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 a lot of good news uh, in an the, in the overall um, sour loss. The cost change is incremental.
6: Now, I know you talked about some of those hurdles that you faced in your first go-around. What are some of the ones that you anticipate this coming election?
7: Well, this is a different cycle. This is a presidential cycle instead of, instead of a special election. So the turnout is going to be a lot higher. Even though it was unprecedented in the Senate race with 920,000 people turned out to vote for me and Senator Smith, we're going to have much more than that, and we know that. And I'm not afraid of that. I'm actually looking forward to that because we have a lot more votes on both sides. And I think we can build the African-American vote from 32.5, which to me was very low. Uh, we've got to get it up, hopefully to, you know, much, much higher than that. But still, I know we can't win with black votes alone. We've got to build a white vote. We got 18 percent of the white vote in 2018, and we've got to do better. We can do better. And I know what those votes are.
6: What is going to set this election – apart from last time what what will make this like, one yours
7: turn out like you've never seen before turn out that is eye-popping uh on the black side on the african-american side you know i know we can do much much better doug jones got 39 percent of black vote in alabama barack obama got 37 uh, percent when he ran both times for president and in mississippi only 32.5 percent of black voters that re- that represented the percent of the total electorate, and, and I know we're going to do better than that because we've got more time And just a presidential race is going to energize those voters. And then I've got to come and find the infrequent voters, inform them, register them, energize them, and get them to vote for Mike Espy. Uh And still that's not enough. We've got to find persuadable white voters and, and uh, persuade them to vote for me. So we've got a, a big job ahead. But it's not an impossible job. It's a job that can be done.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition
4: from MPB Think Radio.